Good morning, Grace Fellowship. My name is uh, Tim. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we're, thanks for coming today. Um, I'm excited that you're here. We have, about a month ago, we started this journey into 2 Corinthians. It's a, it's a book in the New Testament written by a guy named Paul uh, to a church in a town called uh, Corinth. And uh, we've been learning about what it means to follow Jesus from this book. We're going to start in chapter 5 this week. So if you want to start getting that ready, because I am going to read uh, the entire passage here in just a moment. But before we get into that, uh, if you are new to Grace Fellowship, been here a while, or if this is your, uh, your first Sunday... Uh, we have something that we call Step In, which is an opportunity for you uh, to get to know uh, some of the staff. Uh, we can explain to you what we are, who we are, what we do, why we do it. It gives you an opportunity to ask some questions. We offer this class on the first Sunday of every month uh, in, the nine, in, in this service at 9.30. And so if you're interested in that, uh, we will offer it next Sunday because next Sunday is the first Sunday in October. October, people. Yeah, um, so anyway, summer's over uh, as attested to this morning. So um, anyway, if you are interested in Step In, uh, there is a place on your connection card uh, that you can check the box. We can get back to you with the details of that. And uh, we would just invite you uh, to check us out further and get some of your questions answered uh, in that class. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, grab a Bible if you will, bring it up on your device. Uh, I'm going to read the passage in just a moment. But here's the bottom line uh, for this morning's message, friends. I'll, I'll put it on the screen. A life transformed by the gospel is a life controlled by love. A life transformed by the gospel is a life controlled by love. Second Corinthians, as we've been learning, is a very personal letter where Paul talks quite a bit about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and how that relationship changes your life. Uh, the passage uh, that I'm going to read in a moment is not only personal, but it's, it's theological. Uh, it's probably one of the most theological passages in this letter. Most of this letter is not theological, but he's going to outline from a theological point of view what it means to follow Jesus, and yet this passage is going to be very personal uh, to us. Friends, you cannot separate the personal from the theological. A lot of us like to get into the details of the Bible and, and just understand, you know, what the Bible says and what the Bible tells us to do. But friends, everything that we learn about God, theology is the understanding of God. Everything we learn about God is very personal to us. There's nothing that you don't learn about God that doesn't apply to your daily life and your daily relationships. And so we're going to find that uh, in this passage. One of the first things we, we find out from theology is that, that God created you for relationship. The reason you exist is because God loves you and wants to be known by you uh, and wants to know you. And so the more we get to know God, the more we understand ourselves and the more we understand what it means to have a relationship with our creator, redeemer, and how that changes everything in our lives. So Paul says uh, uh, that, talks about that in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And so if you would stand with me, uh, it's not going to be on the screen. So uh, listen in or follow along uh, on, in your Bible or on your device. Starting with verse 14, it says this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated. Friends, a life transformed by the gospel is a life controlled by love. So the first question we need to ask this morning is what controls your life? What is it that directs your life? What is it that pushes uh, your life forward? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning other than an alarm clock and the pressure to get to work on time? What is it that pushes you through life? What drives your decisions? What motivates and shapes your relationships? What is it that pushes you into uncomfortable but necessary conversations? What prompts you to speak the truth in love or to go to the second mile or confess your faults or extend grace? What moves you to love the least of these or to fight for justice for those that are disenfranchised? What is it that causes you to press on through life regardless of what life brings your way? What controls your life? Uh, You read the writings of Paul, and there are several in the New Testament, and you get this very clear sense that Paul was a very driven man. I press on, Paul says in Philippians 3. I fight the good fight, 2 Timothy 2. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1. My ambition is to preach the gospel, Romans 15. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I don't consider my life as of any value. My life is worth nothing except for this one thing, that I would do the work, that I would finish the work that God has called me to. What controls your life? What motivates your life? What was it that pushed the Apostle Paul forward through, as we learn from this very letter, through the circumstances, the struggles, and the sufferings that most of us uh, can only think about or imagine the things that Paul went through for the gospel and for Jesus, what controlled him, what motivated him to do that? Well, he tells us that in this chapter, chapter 5, starting with verse 14, for the love of Christ, what? Controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Now there's, you know, what, what is Paul talking about? Uh, there's two ways to interpret this phrase, the love of Christ. Is Paul talking about the love I have for Christ? I or is he talking about the love Christ has for me? Do you, anybody in the room love Jesus? Yeah, many of you do. Uh, you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, but um, here's, here's the thing, friends. No one would question the love uh, Paul had for, had for Jesus. But elsewhere in the Bible, it says to us that we love Jesus because Jesus loved us first. Okay, friends, this is very important for us to get under our belt and to understand when it comes to to the gospel. Jesus doesn't love you because you love him. You love Jesus because Jesus loves you. This is so important, friends. This is the gospel. You may love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You may love him a lot. You may love him with your life, but make no mistake. Had Jesus not loved you first, you would not love Jesus at all. It was Jesus that pursued you. It was Jesus that died for you. 
It is Jesus that wants to live inside of you. It's Jesus that wants to propel your life forward into a life of abundance and eternity. Jesus loved you first, and there's no other reason for you to love him other than the fact that he loved you. The word, uh, the, the love of Christ controls us. Now, this is translated differently in different Bibles. Uh, it compels us or it constrains us. Uh, the word describes being hemmed in and pushed forward. Imagine a river flowing down. I mean, it has no choice but to flow in the direction and flow within the confines of the banks on both sides of that river. Paul says, I am hemmed in. I am constrained. I am pushed forward by nothing else but the love Jesus has for me. In other words, Paul says, I can't not do this. I cannot follow. I cannot not follow Jesus, regardless of what I've been through, regardless of what I've suffered, regardless of the circumstances of my life, the love of Christ is so overwhelming to me. The love of Christ is so controlling me. I, don't, I am so overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus would love me. I am so overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus would love, have you ever said that to yourself? You need to say that to yourself every morning. As his mercies are new, remind yourself how overwhelming you are that the God of the universe would love you. You, of all people. Jesus loves you. And it, the fact that Jesus has demonstrated his love on the cross, the fact that the, God, the, that the love of God has been poured out into your heart because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the indescribable, the inexplicable, the unimaginable, the uncontainable love Jesus has for you and me, it leaves me no choice. I cannot not follow him. I cannot not surrender to him. I cannot not orient my entire existence to his good purpose for my life. This is what Paul is talking about. The love of Jesus was so powerful and so overwhelming in his life that he, ha he had no choice but to surrender to that. And friends, this is true for you until Jesus has, has no, he doesn't have to compete with your heart anymore. He doesn't have to vie for your allegiance anymore. As long, until he has complete control over your heart because of his love for you. I'm not sure you quite understand the gospel yet. This is what it means to understand the gospel, to be so controlled. As long as you're still trying to decide, you know, who to give your heart to, you haven't fully considered what he has done for you. Because in the light of the cross, friends, there is no other option. The love of Jesus changes everything. The love of Jesus controls everything. Now get this, friends. He loved you first, which means that he loved you when you were unlovable. Some of you are still unlovable. He still loves you. He loved you when you were unacceptable. He still accepts you. Some of us, were, we're all still unacceptable. He still accepts us. He died for you when there was nothing in you worthy of dying for except you. He created you and wants a relationship with you. And so Paul says it doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter what I have to suffer. It doesn't matter the price I have to pay or the hardship I have to endure. When I compare all of that to the love Jesus has for me, there's no other option. His love has total and complete control over my life. Well, that's just the first seven words of this passage. So we should probably move on, right? Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, we understand this, that one has died for all. He's talking about the gospel, the crucifixion. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live 
for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Paul is saying, there's no other option for me. Jesus died for me. Get this. It always goes back to what Jesus has done for you. Jesus died for you. And on the cross, friends, Jesus not only died for you, he died to himself. Okay, he had to die to himself in order to die for you. He had to lay down his life in order to give you life. And so he calls us to follow him. And what does he call us to do? To lay down our lives, to pick up our cross, to die for him. That's the price of discipleship, friends. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We lay down our lives for the one who laid down his life. Paul said it this way in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live, I no longer live for myself. I no longer live for myself. I don't And he says this in Corinthians, for those who understand this no longer live for themselves. Friends, this this phrase is so countercultural to the day and age in which we live. I mean, is there any phrase that characterizes our world better than living for ourselves? Than living for ourselves? Where everything is about us? And yet, has there ever been a more broken world filled with people living for themselves? No rules, no authority, no accountability, no truth, no boundaries. The only way to be true to yourself is to do, to live for yourself. You do you. And Jesus turns that thinking on its head and says a life transformed by the gospel is a life controlled by love, a life that lays down its life. He goes on, verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. First, he talks about us laying down our lives for him. And now in verse 16, he talks about looking at other people. Paul says, I don't look at people the way I used to look at them. And why is that? Because I don't look at Jesus the way I used to look at Jesus. Now that I understand the the cross, now that I've tasted grace, now that the gospel has overwhelmed me by the love of Christ, now that I've been freed from myself, I can now be free to see people the way Jesus saw me. And how did Jesus see me? He saw me broken and selfish. He saw me rebellious. He saw me deeply flawed. In that I am deeply loved. That kind of love changes everything. That kind of love controls everything. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A life transformed by the gospel is a life controlled by love. The old way of thinking and believing and living, the old way of living for yourself, the old way of proving your worth and earning your place, all of that has changed in the reality of the gospel. God loves you. (laughs) He He just loves you. Now, we need to make this point, friends. It's love that leads to a transformed life. It's love that leads to a transformed life. And he's talking in the present tense right now here. I mean, he's declared you a new creation right now in this moment. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You're not a new creation next week or next year or next decade as you're trying to get your act together. Okay, friends, here's, here's, here's the point. God isn't in love with some future version of you as you're trying to put your life together, he's in love with you now. Not when you've finally gotten your act together because, seriously, when are you ever going to get your act together? Some of you have been at this for a very long time. (laughs) I've been at this for a very long time. I have yet to get my act together. That is why the love of Christ is so overwhelming to me. 
while we were still sinners, while we couldn't get our act together, while we will never get our act together, God isn't waiting to love you. He loves you now. Think about the story of the prodigal son. Many of us are familiar with that. When did the father most love that son? When, we, he, when he was at home? When he was on the run? When he came back? Friends, the father never stopped loving him. He couldn't, he couldn't love him more than he loved him from the very beginning. Friends, that's the love of God for you. And that love never changes. The love that never changes changes everything. His love changes everything. His love controls everything. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the thing, friends. Love, love leaks. I mean, it's hard to bask in the love someone has for you and it not change your whole outlook on life. When you, when you know that you're loved by someone, doesn't it change your attitude? When you know, when you're living in the love someone has for you, doesn't it change the way you operate in life, the way that you look at life, the way that you look at other people? When you are living in love, it changes the way you love. Paul's point is simple. Those who understand the gospel, God's love for you, can't keep that gospel, can't keep that love to themselves. And so he makes this application in verse 19. We reconcile, we are reconciled to reconcile. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, that's you and me, those that are in Christ, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors or representatives for Christ, of Christ, God making his appeal through us to the world. We employ you, employ you, implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, here's the deal, Jesus follower. When the love of Christ controls you, when you become a new creation, when you stop living for yourself and start living for the one who died for you, your heart begins, begins to be tuned, come in tune with the heart of God, which means you start to value the things that Jesus values. You start to love the things that Jesus loves. You start to prioritize in the way that Jesus would prioritize. And there's one thing that God loves. There's one thing that God values above all creation. And that's the people he's created for a relationship. That's you and everyone around you. And so when you're overwhelmed and controlled by that love, you no longer view people from a worldly point of view. You see them with spirits and souls that are eternal. Those people around you, your family and your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, people you meet on the street and in the grocery store, at the restaurant, at, at the soccer field, these are people that have an eternal destiny attached to their lives. They are people who are viewing pe uh, Jesus in the way that you used to view him. But now that his love has captured your heart, you want them to see Jesus differently, the way that you now see him. You want them to, to know him and to love him the way that he loves you. And how do you see him? Well, Paul, Paul concludes this entire passage with one of the most theological statements in all of the New Testament. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus gave us what he deserved so that we would receive what we do not deserve. A life transformed by the gospel is controlled, a life controlled by love. And the more you know Jesus and the more that you know that love that he has for you, the more you want others to know that love. When the love of Christ controls you, you begin to love the things Jesus loves. And so again, once again, Paul goes back to the gospel, the reality that you are both deeply flawed and deeply loved at the same time. 
Repeat after me. I am deeply flawed. I am deeply flawed. Now say it like you believe it. I am deeply flawed. I am deeply flawed. The Bible says even your good stuff isn't so good. The fact is, friends, you stink at, at being good. I stink at being good. Turn to the person you came with this morning and tell them, I stink at being good. Be honest. Now, okay, now that you've said that to each other, look at each other again and say, I know. <laughs> Here's the problem. Friends, the problem is not that you know uh, that, you're, that, you're, that you think of being good. Uh, you know, the problem isn't your ability to get it right. The problem with many of us is thinking that you need to get it right. That God won't love you until you get it right. That God won't accept you unless you get it right. We live under this legalistic, moralistic pressure Thinking that, you know, I'll never be right with God until I am right. And the gospel says you will never be right. You stink at being right. You will never get your act together. That's why the love of Jesus is so overwhelming. The pressure to get it right, friends, will actually cause you to doubt the love of God for you. This pressure to get it right will cause you to, to put your focus on others instead of Jesus. Why? Because, you know what, if, if, if you're thinking that you've got to be perfect in order for God to love you, your only option is to find someone around you who's not as perfect. That's the only way that you can feel better about yourself. And you know what that does? That leads to further legalism and moralism. It leads to criticism and judgmentalism. It leads to hypocrisy and Phariseeism. It leads to everything that you don't want in your life. God loves you. And just because of that, let that, let that change your life. Let that control your life. Uh, Jesus comes to us and says, don't, don't you want to be free from all that pressure? Don't you want to be free from all the guilt and the shame that trying to get it right produces in your life? Don't you want to be free from all that legalism that, that robs you of life? Why don't you just let me love you? Here's three things that the love of Jesus gives us. Here's the first one, a new identity. In Christ, you are a new creation, Paul says. Uh, Tim Keller says, when I forget about the gospel that I am deeply flawed and deeply loved, I become dependent on the smiles and the evaluations of others. I have to look, this is what religion does, friends. Following Jesus is not a religion, it's a relationship. But religion has this pressure to prove your worth and to earn your place, to make your way. It makes it all about the rules instead of the relationship. It's, have you ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater? I know summer's over, we're grieving that. But you know, you, you can hold a beach ball underwater for a little while, but things shift and move around, you know, and, and the pressure just gets too, you can't do that forever. And all, you know, you can't, you can't hide yourself forever. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, there is there, therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. Friends, when you are in Christ, condemnation is a legal term. It means that you have been charged with something that you have no defense, that you are guilty. But for those in Christ, I want you to think about this. When did Jesus die for your sins? And this is a trick question, so don't try to answer it. Um, 
the obvious answer is that Jesus died 2,000 years ago for your sins, but that's not what I'm getting at. Jesus died for your sins 2,000 years ago, but when did you commit your sins? You committed them yesterday. You didn't commit them 2,000 years ago. Uh, you're going to commit them tomorrow. I'm not a prophet. I just know human nature, okay? You're going to mess up. So 2,000 years ago, what, is, what am I saying? 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for sins that were going to be committed 2,000 years later, which means, friends, there is nothing that you're going to do today to make God love you more. There's nothing you're going to do wrong today to make God love you less. He has 2,000 years ago, he told you how much he loved you. And that has not changed. And that will not change. Regardless of what happened yesterday, regardless of what is going to happen tomorrow, friends, it's love that's going to change you. It's love. If you allow that love to control you, there's nothing that you can do wrong to get God to love you less. There's nothing you can do right to get God to love you more. This means that God is just as pleased with you on your worst day as he was with Jesus on his best day. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Jesus. He loves you to the degree that you are in Jesus. It's being in Jesus that the love of God overflows in your heart. And the more that you are in Jesus, the more that you are controlled by the love of Jesus, friends, that's when you become more like Jesus. You have a, you have a new identity. That's the first thing. Second thing, he gives you a new motivation. A new motivation. Paul tells us in this passage that Jesus died to himself in order to die for us. The love that frees us to die to ourselves is the love that enables us to live for him. Now, here's, here's the context uh, in 2 Corinthians. A major theme in this letter is suffering. Paul has addressed it already several times. Chapter 1, chapter 4, and chapter 6, he's going to bring it up again. Chapter 11 and 12, he's going to talk about it. Last week, I said that the sufferings of Jesus was all about you so that your sufferings would not be all about you. That Jesus suffered for you so that you could be free in the sufferings to live for him. Paul says, I have been consumed, I have been constrained, I have been controlled by the love of Jesus. In a very practical sense, what is he saying? He's saying, in the light of, of my life, what, what I've what I've gone through, what I've been, you know, when I've been tempted to think of my own welfare and comfort, when my own uh, satisfaction or circumstances, the love of Christ has demonstrated on the cross uh, his love for me, and that has liberated me from the self-centeredness and the entitlement that I am so tempted to fall into, that life should be better for me. Whenever, whenever I am tempted to self-pity, whenever I am mistreated by others, when anger and bitterness rises up in my heart, the love of Jesus so controls me, so overwhelms me, the fact that Jesus would love me in my rebellion and imperfections softens this insistence in my life that life be fair. When others betray me or abandon me, the awareness that Jesus and his love would never fail me, never leave me, keeps me going regardless of the circumstances I face when disappointment and discouragement and despair seek to overwhelm me. I, I will not allow it to consume me because I am already consumed by the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus gives you a new identity. It gives you a new motivation for life. Thirdly, it gives you a new calling. And this is the application that Paul makes in this passage. Uh, a life transformed by the gospel is a life controlled by love. Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ, in Christ, 
you are in Christ. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Paul is telling us in this passage, we simply pass on what we have received. Uh, Remember the movie uh, Nemo? Anybody see the movie Nemo? It's, it's been out there quite a while. Uh, so refresh your memory. The default posture of every human being really is demonstrated by the mantra of the seagulls in that movie. Anybody remember the seagulls flying around in that movie? And what, what, what they were always saying, mine, 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 mine. Friends, you don't, you don't, you don't pick that up from your parents. You, lo- you don't learn that from your culture. You don't go to class for that. Friends, that, that is built in. That comes fully loaded in the basic model of every human being. This temptation, this desire, this hunger to live for ourselves. And so that's why the teachings of Jesus, that's why following Jesus is so radical. That's what, Jesus comes along and says, you will never find your life living for your life. You will, you will never find your life until you lose your life. Friends, the, the way of Jesus following Jesus is a whole new paradigm. It is a whole new calling for life. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer view human beings from a worldly point of view. We no longer keep the love of Jesus for ourselves. Friends, how do you know that, you, that the love of Jesus is controlling your life? You can't stop loving. That's how. How do you know that the love of Christ is controlling your life? There is a humility in you. There is a compassion about you. There is a patience that guides you, that negates the need to judge and to be critical. It removes the barriers to be kind and to serve one another. You just can't stop loving. Paul says we have become ambassadors. We have become representatives. We, we mirror, we mimic, we represent the love of Jesus to the world, the broken world around us and so in a very practical sense i mean there's a recurring story in the gospels that i want to conclude with and then we're going to move into communion so ushers uh, those of you who are serving us this morning if you want to get ready for that i want to talk about uh in the gospels several times we see jesus going to parties uh, we know that because the gospels uh, record several of them to the point that even jesus was criticized for going to parties, for hanging out with the wrong crowd, ending up in the wrong place. And at one point in that criticism, Jesus made this point, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, remember that statement, but the sick. I have come uh, to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, the, the great reconciler, went to those who needed reconciling, who needed healing. So here's the challenge for the Jesus follower. When your heart has been transformed by the love of Christ, when your heart has been attuned to the heart of Christ, when the love of Christ controls you, there's a part of you uh, that happens in you that changes what you value and what you love. And you begin to enjoy less the things that you used to do before Jesus' love controlled your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Most of you do. There were things that you did. There were things that you went to. There were activities you were involved in. Uh, There were, you know... uh, just things about your life that you are so comfortable with that you actually enjoy, but now that you've met Jesus, those things are not as appealing to you anymore. In fact, sometimes you're even uncomfortable in those activities. Now you just want to avoid those, those places and those activities and even those people. Here's, here's the thing about Jesus. 
what, what you used to revel in, you know, kind of bothers you now and doesn't appeal to you anymore. But here, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus went to parties, but he didn't go for the party. He went for the partiers. I don't know that Jesus loved parties. He, he might have. I, I, don't, I, I can't speak for him. I, do, I can speak for him on this. He loved partiers. And that's why he went to parties. Uh, how, do you, how do you know that the love of Jesus is controlling you? You love the people that Jesus loves. And Jesus loved imperfect, fallible, broken, deeply flawed people who could not get their act together, who stinks at being good, but who are created and redeemed by the God who loves them. Friends, as Jesus followers, and when it comes to evangelism, and that's what he's talking about in this passage, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're trying to, we're trying to reconcile people to Christ. When it comes to evangelism, friends, you gotta stop trying to sell a product and just introduce your friend a friend who loves you, a friend who loves them, and be overwhelmed by that love. That's what, that's what we celebrate in these moments right now. When we come to this time of communion, and we'll put the, the instructions are on the screen, so if, if you're new to communion here at Grace, uh, the instructions that, uh, to follow are on the screens for you. But this is called a festival. This is called a feast. This is called a party. We celebrate the Lord's Supper because of the one who loved us. And so I would encourage you in these moments where we participate in the act of communion that we would be reminded that the love of Christ so controls us that we have no other choice but to love and to follow the one who died for us. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you loved us, that you just loved us, and that there's no other explanation but that you love us. And would that reality so control us that we would see it as no other option but to die to ourselves and to live for you, to celebrate your goodness in our lives, to celebrate your sacrifice on our behalf, to remind us that you died to yourself in order to die for us so that we might live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.